0: Hello and welcome to The Political Party. Today's guest is Harry Cole, the political editor of The Sun. It's a job he's had for three years. He's still only in his 30s and this is such an entertaining account of what it's like to work at a modern British tabloid and everything that goes along with it. Before I come on to that, uh, I can announce some new guests. On Monday the 20th of February my guest is Keir Starmer, as you know. On the 6th of March it's Eddie Izzard. On the 20th of March it's Krishnan Guru Murthy. On the 3rd of April it's Ruth Davidson. On the 17th of April I'm on the verge of being able to announce that but I can announce today on the 22nd of May my guest will be David Blunkett the former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary, now member of the House of Lords and uh, of course one of the biggest beasts in Labour and British politics. Tickets for all those shows you can get by clicking on the link. But on to today's guest, Harry Cole. Now we recorded this the day that Nicholas Sturgeon resigned so we talk about that a little bit at the start and the implications for Harry and for political editors at tabloids and newspapers and what it means a day like that and, and how uh, the uh, Sun in Scotland differs from uh, the UK version of the Sun and all that type of thing. But the main conversation is about being a political editor, but also he is just a complete political obsessive, and and you'll be aware of him from his previous work at Guido, and maybe even some of you total obsessives will remember Tory Bear as I did his initial blog. Um, but really, it's a defence of enjoying politics and everything that goes with it, and the stories about the individuals, and it really is about seeing politics, about how you tell, and, and he'll come on to this, but basically how you tell stories about policy through individuals um and also just about the next election and who the sun's going to support and why that's such a big deal and how the sun's influence has endured and it's just an absolute romp through all that uh, and so much more um so i shall speak no more and leave you in the capable hands of harry cole Harry, we're recording this moments after the First Minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, has said that she's standing down. You obviously spent a fair bit of time in Scotland. You studied at Edinburgh University. You know the city and the country well. What's your immediate hot take on what Sturgeon's resignation means?
2: Um, I just go chuckling, actually, as I read through a few tweets and articles from from, from about a month ago that said, uh, that said uh, the, the government blocking... Uh, Sturgeon's gender laws was all her Christmases coming at once and so I was going to say happy Christmas to that particular commentator. The idea that um, this you know this is nothing to do with short-term difficulties as she so gallantly said in her um, almost it's almost like an abdication speech rather than a resignation speech we just watched there I think is nonsense. She's obviously wounded. I think the problem was is that you know this this trans debate it's clearly shown it to be on not only the wrong side of the public, but I think in the long term on the wrong side of history. And for a for a politician who sort of um, is 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 very good at, the, at sort of being the sort of voice of Scotland, um, so to speak, whether or not she was very good at betraying herself as it was as soon as there was a, a noticeable um, direct impact on the independence cause from this fallout from not only the gender bill but her, her that mess they got into with the. Um, with the with the, the the Scottish rapist in the in in the female jail, once it was once that was once you know, um we've now got independence below forty percent for the first time in almost ten years, you know the clock was ticking once she was damaging the cause, and you know she probably had had enough. You know it is a tough job, eight years, five prime ministers, um, undoubtedly a, a, you know a, a, a powerful force, but um, I think the
0: legacy will you know will will take some work. And how does this it's work convenient. for the sun then? Because obviously there's a there's a Scottish sun as well. Have, have you been in a call since with colleagues in Scotland, and will they take a different well, line I mean, to the UK version? Um, yeah, well, look, the, the Scottish sun is a
2: is, is a powerful, very powerful force in in Scottish politics. They have been, um, you know, a very, very, very critical uh, voice uh, of Sturgeon uh, towards the end um, throughout her career, held her to account. Look, they obviously focused on the day to day um on the day-to-day uh sort of ins and outs of hollywood and the scottish executive but often you know it's always a sign of of when a story breaks through into a into a national story i always always almost almost almost, always defer to them because they are the experts on that stuff but tomorrow um yeah yeah, this is the sort of this is the, the sort of story that's gonna you know they will be writing in both editions
0: an amazing day, really. You've had Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party, saying that his predecessor, Jeremy Corbyn, definitely won't be a Labour candidate at the next election. I can't remember any mainstream party ever going through that before. And you've had the First Minister to resign. I think. I mean, this is recess. It's meant to be quiet. But are these the days that you that you live well, for no, as I, a political I, I, I was, take, I
2: was I was meant to take the day off. And I said, oh, it's going to be quiet tomorrow. I'll take a day off. Um, and there is, you know, frankly, what we've learned, really since 2014, when I think politics started to go weird, and then it sort of snowballed into brexit and may and boris and 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 then covid and then all the craziness since then is there also no such thing as a quiet recess and i've actually managed to maintain my day off but i have um i have to, i have been knocking out a little piece uh, for tomorrow's paper but from the from the comfort of my home
0: <laughs> well i've very kind of you to join me today then given that this is effectively a, a sunday uh, for you um now you've been political editor of the sun for a few years now Am I right that you're still in your 30s? I am. I'm 37 in April. So you be, you got that gig when you were, what, 34? Uh,
2: 35, yes. I think it was, yeah, pretty young. But I had... um. I've been weird. I've been... um. I sort of joined the lobby very, very young. Um. Well, just sort of turned up in Westminster, really, and started throwing rocks quite straight out of university in a way that... Um, that lots of other people didn't do and I didn't do any actual um, sort of journalism training formally to begin with Um and was blogging around and it a sort of caught a wave of sort of new media so to speak but you know then suddenly all newspapers became bloggers and everyone's got a Twitter account and a website and um the sort of bloggers uh, took over so I sort of assimilated into, into newspapers at a very young age so uh, yes very young.
0: And you'd started you'd started with a blog called Tory Bear, which I I remember at the time. I, I remember reading it. It was a brilliant <laughs> blog, and it was around that time there was, I guess, there was Guido. There was something called Recess Monkey. Yeah, I remember. God, there, I remember. there were a couple of others as well, but it was, it was a really exciting time because all this stuff was totally grassroots up. There were just really interesting, provocative people on left, right, and centre setting up. Effectively, what were I guess quite gossipy political websites yeah
2: i think ian dale as well deserves a lot of credit for the sort of you know slightly waspish insideriness of it 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 all um in america it sort of it sort of sort of sprung up in the run-up really to to 2004 um uh presidential election in the primaries there was obviously blogs that around that were long sort of tomes there's something called fisking where sort of people will take an article and go through it line by line and shout louder capitals about why it was wrong. Uh, and you know, it was all sort of kind of weird. And actually the the medium of 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 fast-paced, quite unaccountable, very quick um reaction to news actually is it, it was there for the for the taking. And I yeah, I I sort of got into I because I I I'd, I'd done some work down in Westminster one summer uh when I was at university and I'd wanted to keep a kind of footing on that. Um so I started writing about student politics, um which as anyone that's ever dipped a toe in it now um now and then will know is the most boring and vicious <laughs> and completely pointless um world but also got some great characters in it many of whom are now actually in the labor shadow cabinet um uh, <laughs> many of them now actually popping up various places throughout um throughout Westminster, I often see a name and think, oh, God, what did I write about them? <laughs> um, uh, and some of them actually bring it up at with dinner with the editor. Uh, <laughs> a senior cabinet minister actually took a, took me to task just last week to say, it. I first came across Harry when he wrote some of the absolutely
0: appalling <laughs> on his blog. <laughs> so sorry about that, Suella. Um... <laughs> and are most of them philosophical about it? Or do you sense yeah, that some of them still course. bear a grudge?
2: I know. I mean, they're often the way. I mean, I've always been the way the Simon Waters model of 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 punch them on the nose on a Sunday and try and take them out on the Tuesday for lunch. And um, once someone's been through the mill, they never really want to do it ever again. Um, so there's a way of there's a way of, 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 of smoothing feathers. But yeah, no, it, it, it started out as an accident. I was meant to go and be a, a barrister. I was meant to do a law conversion. When um, I finished university, that was always my plan. Um, and then I did. I got a phone call from Paul Staines, who runs the Guido Fawkes blog, who I'd sort of got in touch with when I was sort of in that blogging world and done a couple of weeks' work experience with him. Got a phone call from him saying, look, Telegraph have just bought the expenses files. This is what, May, May-ish, 2000, April 2009. Um, it's all going to kick off. It's going to be mental. Come in for the summer. And I said, yeah, I'll come until September the 13th. And then I'll go to law school. And I they stayed for six years.
0: <laughs> so was that the job you did in Westminster, or was it or was it an actual political job?
2: No, so straight uh, straight after straight after graduating, I turned up at um uh at Guido Forks Towers and um there was a slightly wild West days, the, the fall of Gordon Brown. expenses crisis they were they were sort of wild wild busy days and mad mad stories and i just always presumed this is what it was always like down here um which got got me a taste for it and then i applied for a couple of jobs in sort of pr firms and lobbying firms and a couple of them well one of them in particular said um we'd love to give you a job but we don't think you want to work here um you should go be a journalist and so i thought okay interesting um And so I sort of then bolted on a few things. I started doing some work with The Spectator, um, which gave me a bit more of a sort of serious outlet um, and a bit more sort of highbrow stuff and a bit more freedom to sort of actually write at length, which was nice. Um, And then um, we started providing Guido content for the great newspaper that is the Daily Star Sunday, um, which was good. This was all during sort of Leveson row, Leveson sort of period where sort of tabloids were kind of, you know, the Sun on Sunday had launched, the, the tabloids were sort of, you know themselves into a new position, a new place, but also wanting to fight back a little bit post the sort of decline of the um, of news of the world in 2011 and that period, um, and then after a year of the, the Days Star Sunday, the 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 Sunday Sun, sun and Sunday Sunday bought up the bought up the column, and so I was working for them for a couple of years while working at Guido, providing them with a Sunday column, and then from there just sort of clawed my way into a into a job eventually, and that was after the 2015 election. I joined the Sun lobby team, and um, and then yeah, and then just that feels like two years ago. It's actually now seven years ago. So
0: it's been fun. And was there ever any part of you? you know you involved in student politics, you're involved in the Conservative Association up at Edinburgh? Was there any ever part of you that thought actually I, I would stand for Parliament, whether Holyrood or Westminster or something?
2: Yeah, so obviously a sort of Tory boy, uh, light Tory boy light. I would say I wasn't a full Tory boy. Um, But there was elements of the Tory boy to me. Uh, Yeah, did get involved in that. Again, in more of a social way in... um in, in 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 Edinburgh, um, it was good. It was good laugh, really. It could basically wait, winding up the Labour Club, winding up the Greens, winding up the Nats. Uh, the Labour Club were our big enemies actually up then. Then it was the sort of Nats were a bit fringe and a bit bit geography teacher and crusty. Um, and that obviously all changed about five years after I left when they were in the ascendancy. And the Greens, obviously, were the trots uh, who were great fun for, for for winding up. And so I got involved in student politics mainly uh as, as well as I insisted at the time it was nothing of the sort as mainly as a, as a, a sort of a wind-up um, and ended up running as you know, student president all that bollocks and it was you know it was fun it, you know I probably should have done a bit more work but it gave me that bug however the longer I spent writing about them really from quite an early on early on the longer I spent in Westminster and the longer you study it up close actually any feeling that you'd want to do it I know other colleagues in the lobby have disagreed, and I know that some of them will be, you know, definitely have had their eye on seats before and have made the transfer. But I, t- I, I personally, as it stands, would say the longer I've spent writing about them, the less I want to do it. Why? Because <laughs> you see it up close, and you see you, you, we're still there when the you know the bodies float down the river, and you see these you, know, you see these bushy-eyed enthusiastic people arrive. After election, you just see the machine just grind them, spit them out, and you know. And you see some of them make it, some of them don't. Some of them make it and then spectacularly crash. And you just see the same characters coming through again. You just think, you know, weirdly, at the as it stands, you know, if you are a political nutter like I am, you know, you kind of almost have a better position than where I am. In the fact, that we get to see everything. Yeah, to hold it to account, you are a key part of that of that sort of ecosystem, without having to do the the sort of soul destroying, family destroying aspect of of it. Um, you know, there are some brilliant, brilliant MPs, and there are some very, very bad ones, and we get to see them both. And often, you get you think some of the best ones are the brilliant ones, and the brilliant ones are the worst ones. And and actually, tracking those those changes is, I think, far more interesting from where I'm sitting than um, than actually wanting to to. To have a go, but I know I know other people take the different view. But for me, it's um it's almost like um the opposite reaction. The longer you longer you t- longer you spend there, the less time you do you'd like it. I'll take a peerage, though. If anyone's listening, um, <laughs> gold goal would fit very nicely on top of a, by- a byline because it's quite short. <laughs> and,
0: and is it just that what you're doing is more fun as well? That you en- you just enjoy it more?
2: Yeah, no, this job is it's like slightly mental, and I say this to the guys as well, the team, like don't do it if less you love it and you want to give up your, you know, your social life e- large elements of it in the week, you know, it's long hours. It's, it's, it's quite brutal. You can, it's sometimes quite futile. Um, If you, you know, you spend all the time on a story and, you know, then a jumbo jet falls out the sky at seven o'clock and it's, you know, goes, goes down to four, or four inches of, of, of copy in the paper rather than a spread splash to spread. So um, it can be, but you know, if you've got the bug it's there's no there's no greater job going and I always looked at people sort of slightly older who suddenly just one day walked away and I could never quite understand it and then actually I realized it's if you if you don't have the bug it's actually quite a miserable job if you if you've still got the the, the the passion to do it great and you can do it as long as you have that passion but I think the second that you think what am I doing this for you know why am i doing this i think you have to go and do something else because it is a 24 7 um existence and as we said earlier you know this was meant to be a day off and i've been sitting watching you know press conferences and fielding calls and talking to mps and texting and uh, uh, and uh, and writing analysis pieces so there never really is an off switch but then you know there is always going to be i hope someone who has got the flame and the bug standing ready to pick up the mantle and run with it once um once uh, once we burn out but um currently as it stands um, still very much um, still very much running
0: and it allows you to be in a position to break massive stories particularly being at the paper you're at and obviously the last few years the Matt Hancock story in the front page and all that was just uh, you won scoop of the year for it probably the biggest story during Covid really in terms of a story about an individual with a story like that is that uh, do you think you're more likely to get that land in your lap as political editor of the Sun, or, or is, that, uh, is that an unfair assumption?
2: Uh, look, I think the look, I mean, the, the without getting in too much into how the sausage is made is if you have a story like that, and that story was very much a, a team effort, um, you know, you where are you going to go? You're going to go somewhere you've heard of. Um, so the, the element of the you know, I say, you know, if you see a, a ringing phone in journalism in the office pick it up (laughs) because you never know it's you know a lot of generation younger generation coming up through they do their all of their work on zoom all of their work on whatsapp all of their communication is is written mostly um and you know they stare at a phone that rings and there's one phone in the office which i always have to answer but i always know who it's going to be but on the off chance it's not bill cash i have to answer it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I love Bill dearly, but he's if he's calling around something, it, it, you're in for you're in for twenty minutes. Um, but I always say you have to answer that phone because it might not be Bill Cash, and that number somewhere is in some sort of Commons registry as our as the Sun Lobby team. And just because very few MPs still you don't use the internal phones doesn't mean there's not going to be one day a corker at the end of it. So yes, I think yeah we do every paper i think relies on a you know trades on their reputation um you need to become you know a trusted vessel for people to come to and you know they need to know that if they do come to you with gold then you know you're going to you're going to give it a good show so i think every paper has it but perhaps you know the sun uh, you know, for scandal and of of a, of a bonking variety, um, would be a no-brainer because that's you know right up our street, and obviously we'll do everything we can to secure that story like that.
0: And you you obviously have to maintain that reputation. You know, it's not just that it trades on that it's it's reputation over many decades. Obviously, you have to do things that keep you as top dog in a way.
2: Well, in a way, I th- I mean, politics for 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 me and politics for for the paper is as much about personality as it is about policy yes there are important policy stories that we, we will cover and we'll cover them well you know the budget particularly is is a, is a very busy time of year for us we have very clear um sort of views on what is in the best interest of our readers because we are in tune with our readers we poll them we talk to them we focus through them we we react with them our, our letters bag is still flowing and even in this day and age and our and our interaction with the reader is 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 daily um so we sort of see ourselves as sort of a, a reader's champion when it comes to the budget making sure in the run-up to the budget that um you know their voices are heard on on, consu- on a consumer level on a tax level on a fuel level things like that um but then also you know, for the rest of the time, there are very boring stories which we have to cover um, because they are important, but then they're also completely dry and dull and inaccessible. But if you can make them about character and personalities and and battles between people that people know about, it's a much easier way of telling the story and a much more interesting way of telling the story. And whatever, you know, the Guardian and, and, the, and the Heavies will say, it's how they really want to tell the story as well. Um, So it's about, you know, it's not necessarily about, you know, it's making characters familiar to people, um, so that actually, when you know scandals and, and the like do hit, people know who they are. Um, I think helps, but um, you know, it's it's not necessarily always being about you know pointing the finger and and saying ah, but it's also sort of giving a rounded a rounded view of of, of politics that it takes into account that actually some of the most interesting parts of the Westminster system and, and British politics are these extraordinarily ambitious characters who all kind of hate each other and are all doing everything to stab each other in the back. And if you can tell that story in in, in a more accessible way, then all the better.
0: And The Sun is still seen as the paper to get for any uh, prime ministerial candidate going into a general election. Highly symbolic interventions in 1992 and, and 1997 and, and, and prior to that. And since, I mean, just having a sense of what's happening at the moment. How does the sun feel uh, about Rishi Sunak versus Keir Starmer?
2: Um, we'd like to see more of both, frankly. Um, the We will always do what is in the best interest of our readers, and we will not tell our readers to vote for someone um, who we don't think is up to the job of whatever political stripe or colour that is, more passion, I think is the, um, it used to be the Tracy Emin sign that hung up um, in Downing Street, she donated it to um, I think David Cameron and then took it away when Boris Johnson came in and so said enough passion that's quite enough passion for one building <laughs> um, but it, it, it used to hang it's one of those beautiful Tracy Emin neons that used to hang above the door frame in one of the state rooms um, in number 10 it said more passion, we want more passion you know, here, good day he's had good week, good month you know he's had a good twenty twenty three so far. Clean bill of health from the ECHR, great. You've got to a stage where you're, you know. I think I said this after last party conference. They've got Labour got their football boots on. They've turned up to the stadium. Now it's time to play the fi- the the final. So they're in a position to fight properly. However, I think we'd like to see a bit more the shadow cabinet. I think have some very very interesting characters in it. It also has some massive duds. Um, it needs to be more than Starmer. There's, you know, at the moment he's sort of walking, you know, the famous Blair's uh, comment of, you know, walking across the the minefield with a,
0: with a, no, walking across whatever it was, the slippery Mars, corridor and, or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah,
2: this is more of a, more of a minefield. Look, he's, he's on the pitch. Um, so let's show us what you're actually going to do. We will need to see more. Same with Rishi. He's come in, he's stabilized. Um, he has calmed things down. Um, his five-point pledges, fine, gives you know Tory MP something to go and talk about and sell. I'd say four out of five of those are things that basically the government should be doing anyway. Um, so, f- but again, there's no sort of overriding sense of mission in him, and it's slightly too technocratic, it's slightly too managerial, and I think MPs, donors, everyone's just kind of want wants to see, you know. They're not like in a Gordon Brown, what pumps you up, you know, I listen to the Arctic Monkeys in the morning kind of passion. But a little bit more about this fascinating character who has actually given up, you know, wealth, not given up the wealth, but given up even more wealth, but given up this sort of California lifestyle, could have gone to be, could have made gazillions doing a similar role at the top of a major company Um, to give up that for public service. There's clearly a tale to be told there. We'd just like to see it. But interestingly for... For for um, Rishi, our readers actually still very clearly identify him in focus groups as fu- as oh furlough guy, yeah. They just they that that as a good thing as a good thing that intervention in the in the in the in the in, the, in COVID still g- g- gives him a hearing in a way that actually you know Liz didn't quite get, and you know you'd think the fourth prime minister in a in a twelve year Tory government term. We wouldn't quite get a hearing but he because he was such a known character when he came in actually people were willing to give him the time of day that said he has got a massive uphill struggle to to, to get to get to you know to, to win, win a, a sort of mandate of his own so to speak so both of them have you know are, are doing good things some of them are doing you know there's bad things are doing as well but on the whole you know they they're kind of evening out a little bit but where it's going to go is who can really lead now. You you know, you both got control of your parties just about you've wrestled it, wrestled some of the crazier elements to the fringes or in Keir's case, even booted them out. But right. Good. What are you now going to do to build on that? When, when Tony Blair was 50% in the polls, had a 25 point poll lead against John Major, he used that to double down on shifting to the center. He didn't take that and, and stand still. He used it to get even more reform of Labour through. Um, so we'd like to see that. And with 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 Rishi, he's you no, know, he set himself some very clear targets. He better beat them.
0: I mean, is it fair to say that the default position would be probably to back the Tories in any given election? And that it's up to Labour really to win the sun over. And and if that is the case, how close do you think Keir Starmer would be to, to winning the sun's approval?
2: I mean, we're eighteen months out. Let's um, let's not um, let's not you know um, run before we can whatever whatever the expression is um, <laughs> run before we walk. Um, look, it, we will we will weigh up both sides and make a decision closer to the time. That said, you know we are in a. <laughs> it is obviously and noticeable not just to you know, the media but to the wider public that he is presenting a different platform to to what he was you know to his to his predecessor that said i think he's got some serious explaining to do on why he felt comfortable enough to sit through four years of jeremy corbyn and say at two general elections that Jeremy corbyn should be the prime minister and i think he's probably got a little bit of work to do to convince our readers that actually he suddenly totally has had this Damascus conversion on brexit and is fine with it because hmm, i'm slightly skeptical it's, it's a long way to go but we're going to give him a fair hearing um, and with, I don't think it's a, a difficult position. I mean, I'm, you know, as you said, I'm, I can remember, I, said, and I can remember before that, you know, it's a slightly of a, a blur to me, but our readers are, you know, working class people of, 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 of often of the right. But as I always say to Labour, when they spaff yet another press release into The Guardian or an exclusive interview in The Guardian, more Sun readers vote Labour, then there are readers of The Guardian. So (laughs) a third of our readers will still vote Labour. Um, So it's, um, yeah, it's all to play for.
0: And you mentioned the focus groups that you do earlier. Obviously, and every newspaper goes through this, but you have a kind of relationship with your readers where you are uh, you know recommending choices to them at times that you think are in their best interest, but you're also listening to what they say and they're guiding you. So how much... uh, going into thinking of the next election specifically will you be led by what your readers are telling you in things like focus groups and polling
2: well it's like any like any you know like, almost in like 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 an administration or a political party or leadership you gotta you gotta find the balance between those things you've gotta you can't be solely if you're solely led by focus groups then you know you it's a dangerous path for anyone to, to go down but that said you 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 know there's a difference between flying and flying blind um you know it'll be a combination of, of of it all um you know also it's People turn. People's why people read newspapers. It's why people watch the news. They want to be, yes, entertained and, but also informed. But so you know, there's a balance to be struck between, um, you know, blindly following people, but also then saying, well, hold on, and this this, because of this, this, this X, Y, Z, um, you know, perhaps have a think about that. So there's there's it's 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 an art rather than a, a science, but. You've got got to do these things in the round, but also you have actually, as a sort of role, as a a journalist, as a paper, as a product that people choose to buy to find out what's going on in the world, you've got to set your own views out. Now, leader columns are never shy away from that, and even stuff that seems to be unpopular um, to begin with can often end up being on the right side of of history on the right, right side of uh of, of public opinion take the trans debate for example you know elements within the within within the guardian have been hounded out and bullied and uh, and harried out um for for saying what was basically now popular look at within the smp you know if joanne cherry had been listened to a little bit more by, by nicola sturgeon on this trans issue instead of just being you know booted out um when it looked like it was all, it was all very popular um you know, Sturgeon might be in a very different position, and that's like like our our position. You know, we've said some stuff that's been controversial and and not and goes against the grain of of the informed you know in th- informed thought in Westminster that's been ultimately proven to be right. So you've got to take a stand as well as smell the air.
0: You obviously uh, have a history in in online with with things like your own blog and then and then Guido Forks. A, a few years ago, maybe even now, people prematurely were talking about the death of print, and you know this would lead to a new era where the some and others were far less influential. Actually, that doesn't really feel like that's happened. I mean, is am I jumping the gun on maybe that there will be a, a, an eventual decline of print? But there seems to still be a, a desire for something tangible.
2: Yeah, and also look at the magazine. Look at the magazine sales. Look at those sort of Newsday, Spectator, Private Eye. Their sales are going up. Like people are, people want to hold on to stuff and they like the, the product. There was, I think, you know, when I started, it was, you know, 10 years until the death of newspapers, five years to the death of newspapers, and now it's still 10 years. Look, the brands are going to last forever. They will touch wood. Yeah. But there will be new, the news brands are, are strong. Um, You know, so our team has evolved just in the sort of 10 years that I've been sort of involved in from, you know, there was a, there was a sort of very strict online. Um, print sort of breakdown. My role, when I came in about three years, ago was completely sort of merged that now. We've got, you know, we are providing politics content from 7am. Often I'm, you know, one of us is still writing for the second edition at 11am. There's sort of six, seven, of course, eight of us across seven days doing that. And yes, there are some people that are more focused on the online matters, but then they can also get their stuff in the paper. And yes, there are, you know, it's looking at stuff that, you know, is often the same story, but a, a repackaging of it in a different way um, to be able to provide it the same story for a print audience as you can for an online audience. But the online audience will often have a much more consumer tilt um, that people would like to know right what is all very well for this government announcement what, what does it mean in fiscal in, in monetary term what, what does it mean for my wallet um what does it mean yeah fine you're talking about tax cuts and this and national insurance and that, but what am i going to save a week and so it's actually sort of it's it's news for everyone's had to do it and i think the sun have done a really w- clever way of actually being very much consumer driven on on online and that's why our traffic is you know soaring and picking up our consumer team are absolutely amazing. Politics is often done with a consumer angle. Money stories do better than than, than straight up politics stories. But at the same time, you know the 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 Sun. You know traditionally is page two of the Sun. We like to say to say that you know there should on page two of the Sun you should be able to pick it up and read it in one go, and be as informed as if you'd read the entire top headlines of the you know say the Times. And it's all there. So we end up having sort of eight, nine, ten little tiny stories on that page, but it's the ten most important things you need to know, not at a glance, but you know, in a in an easy sitting. Um, and so it's it's basically it's it's the, the, the papers that will survive and the brands that survive will be the ones that can provide to multiple audiences on different platforms at the same time with the same team. And if you know, if you can crack that, then you know, touch wood we're getting there but you know then there will be an ability to uh to 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 maintain those multiple platforms uh longer than if you just sort of put all your eggs in the newspaper basket or all your eggs in the online basket actually it's not necessarily about you know choosing one path or the other it's how do we do both of these things make money and also you know survive
0: and obviously one of the things that helps keep any brand afloat is just that, that constant attention and, and generating noise. And just to return to that uh, amazing Hancock exclusive that you got on the footage of him uh, kissing his uh, his partner, uh, Gina, when you get a story like that and it's clear that, say, something like that's from CCTV or a camera or anything, is there a part of you that thinks actually that there could be a security impl- implication here and we, ha- we have to be careful? Do you have to get it signed off by other the departments in that sort of case
2: <laughs> uh let's just say it was a long day <laughs> <laughs> yes and of course like you know yes and, and so we should um our lawyers are you know are fantastic uh that's actually really good crack actually but they're also like they they they're, they're not there to be story killers they're there to be story enablers but story but done in a way that is that is um that is with you know within the book by the book and write it so, um, look, the wild west of you know get the tip, sling it in the paper, pay off someone, la la la. That's all over. Like that was over you know, before I was even, even arrived um anywhere on, near Fleet Street, and you know the Fleet Street cultures of of, of past are are have changed that said you know we shouldn't allow a sort of overburden of legislation and regulation on the newspaper industry and the media in general to stop us doing stories like that that would be the delight of the politician the delight of the scoundrel the delight of the bent you know businessman um so we've got to find a way of 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 continuing to take that sledgehammer um but you know by the book and 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 rightly so so yes all of that stuff is is you know, For a story like that to land in the way it did on the way it, and how it's presented, you know, went through several layers of, of all sorts of um, scrutiny. Um, and that's the best way to do stories as well, is to stress test them, is, you know, if you if you pull apart a story internally before before it hits the newsstands, there's a, a fairly good chance of the, the rebuttal of that story. um you know, is going to be is going to be pretty limited because you've already come up with that and you've already tried to counter that in the copy. You've tried to, you know, work out what the next movie is going to be. Um And, um, you know, we weren't the one, you know, we never said on that first day that Hancock should resign, but, you know, we didn't need to say it really. It, 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 it was the political fallout, actually, that made that one even a bigger story than it already was. And the fact that the Prime Minister spent the first, 48 hours defending him and saying he's you know it was that he didn't have to resign which was presumably because Boris Johnson was a prime minister who didn't think that it would be really fair to fire someone for um, that particular yeah. type of story but you know it took it on at the world of his own and 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 frankly you know they they were the ones that poured petrol on that story rather than us
1: it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up. That's
0: stamps.com. Code program. And with that story specifically, then, at the time people were going, oh my God, this is Dominic Cummings, and he's got all these videos of all these ministers, and he's just going to bring them all down, anyone that he disagreed with. I mean, you don't have to say, well, it'd be nice if you did say where the video came from, but. Was it Dominic Cummings or don't you know or can't you say or how does it work?
2: If, if every story, if every story we wrote that someone said, ah, the hand of Cummings, um, you know, the guy would be, uh, no, the guy would be infamous. Um, no, of course it wasn't Dominic Cummings. It was um, we said in the set at the time it was a you know a concerned uh, concerned whistleblower who'd seen it and didn't like it and thought, hang on, you know, you're locking us all up, but we're not playing by your own. Regulations, not rules. Um, guidance, not rules. Um, no, um Cummings there were they're, they're sort of mad heady times there. And I think one thing that Rishi Sunak's done really well, and actually Liz, to be fair, did it as well, is too many prime ministers come in and they bring in a Svengali and a guru, your Steve Hilton's, your Alastair Campbell's, your Damien McBride's to some degree, though he was bloody good at what he did. Um, you know, Steve Hilton your Dom Cummings your Nick, your Nixon fees and they sort of become the 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 character and that, it, it only ever lasts really a couple of years when you can't have someone more fame look at Bannon and Trump you can't have someone who's out there almost sort of playing to the to the crowd as the great Svengali the great Guru the, the person really running the show. Without the, eventually, the prime minister goes. Hang on. Well, who the f are these guys? Get who's this guy? Get rid. Like it's it's a recipe for disaster. And actually, Sunak's being very careful not to have that that sort of alternative power base. Obviously, the 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 sort of coming. He's got a lot of Cummings proteges around him. But you know, he's clever enough to keep the keep the the main man as far away from him as physically possible. Um, and actually, I think Boris sort of learned that. For you know, there was almost sort of three Boris administrations. There was. Cummings and Cummings and Boris, and then there was sort of the the sort of Rosenfeld era, where actually there wasn't really that, that sort of big character. But then he sort of brought back this Kito, Kito Hari in the Kitohari for, for the for the for the finale, should we say, uh, <laughs> that, that that the all important uh, third act, uh, <laughs> Gotten Diamond Boris, as someone said it there. Um, and he, again, you had another big character who was you know in the headlines, who was generating news content of their own and being part of the story, and you just. You just got to zap that. So, um, you know, Dom got blamed. Dom did a lot. Absolutely, the guy was a the guy was a was a was a player. Um, but he got blamed for a lot more. I think he <laughs> had a lot more. Uh, he was blamed for a lot more than he actually did. And I don't think he was sitting in Whitehall with a bank of CCTV cameras uh, spying on ministers. Though I'm
0: sure he'd have loved it if he could. And what, have you had much interaction with him over the years? And what's your assessment of him? Um. Uh. Yeah,
2: I mean we I mean I yes, I mean he's very very good at what he does. Um but he's also a nutter. Um frankly he is like he's unstoppable and he's the sort of he's sort of big bee. He's the guy he like on the night out that just, just goes a bit too far. Um <laughs> and he just think it you know... In White, they had a real golden opportunity. I really, genuinely think this with that seven seat majority to actually make some big sweeping changes in Whitehall. And they got hit by the bus of COVID, and it's all quite unfair. And they wonder what happened without the pandemic, and whether they really would have been, you know, marching forward into great reforms. I don't. Something else would have come along. I think. But yeah, he's he's effective because he's dangerous, and he don't, and he's unpredictable. You don't know what he's going to do next. But. At the same time, I think uh, I was... When, you know, there was the Carol Walla nutters and crazies and all that. You know, he's a Russian agent, la, 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 la. Um, I have found his reaction to Ukraine um, really quite troubling. Um, if you read his Twitter feed, he is openly parroting Kremlin talking points. And in a way that... It's, you know, it's beyond sort of winding. People. It's beyond being the sort of guy who goes, "Guys, calm down. We don't have an end game here." To Zelensky is a crook. We should we, we should be attacking him. Like it's it, it's pretty proper like you know properly out there stuff. And if you look at,
0: I haven't seen any of that. I've completely yeah, stopped if following. If you look
2: at who else is sort of parroting that stuff, it's all the people you've basically you know been a bit worried about over the years. And you just think, hmm. And so I don't buy this whole, you know, Putin ordered Brexit to destabilize the West, you know, theory. But his his views on his views on Russia and, and Ukraine are, are, are very troubling.
0: And is that when he when people like that say stuff like that, do you think that's as a product of the fact that he's no longer at the center and it's a kind of I'm gonna show you? That well, no longer being at the center of things makes you more likely to drift to the fringes.
2: I don't know. I think um, possibly, um, I, I think he he was almost more powerful when he was left the building than he, you know, almost more powerful when he left the building. You know, that great image of him walking around, walking out with a big box. When now found out what was in the big box, it was a load of shit to throw at, at Boris Johnson. <laughs> um, so from wallpaper to party gate to emails to leaks to bodies piling up, you know, it was all him. Uh, by hook or by crook and um through some various you know intermediaries um but broadly it was him and um you wonder whether you know what's he gonna do now he, what's you know he's he you know he, he got boris elected he helped get boris elected he got brexit done he helped get boris elected he you know he he you know what's his next project and he wondered he's the sort of man that I wonder whether you know he, yeah, you're probably right. He's probably less dangerous with a with a with a with a with a stated aim, if that makes sense, with with something to get his teeth stuck into. And at the moment, I think he's slightly railing around, being a bit weird.
0: Would he work for Trump?
2: I don't know. Um, he's he's sort of menacingly writing about regime change USA, which um, which uh, which so as a yes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he. I don't think he would work for Trump because. I think he obviously was at the sharp end of the of the Trump craziness, um, you know, when in sort of 2020 and in, in 2019, 2020, 21, when, you know, we was, the world was battling the, the, you know, the COVID stuff and Trump would appear on TV and start talking talk about drinking bleach and things. And, you know, as a, as an ally, and as a key ally. And, you know, in that, in number 10, I imagine there was some pretty tense times when everyone wanting wanted to shut the fuck up. Um, and, um, you know, I, I doubt he would. I don't know. Who knows? But um, never say never. That would be a hell of a team. <laughs>
0: so after Boris, course, we get Liz Truss very briefly. And and you and James Heal write a biography of Liz Truss called Out of the Blue. Now, obviously, it's <laughs> talked about elsewhere, I'm sure, but it must have been a bit of a nightmare, effectively landing that, which is a great gig to get, writing a biography of a new prime minister, getting to write that first draft of history, and then realising that in the run-up to the publication date her premiership is expiring so at what point was the book commissioned uh
2: the book was commissioned on the 15th of august so we basically had been sort of chewing it over talking about it It's something i'd wanted to do for a while i had a sort of um i'd known her for years obviously as she sort of came up through the ranks and i knew a lot of the people around her i just thought hang on i'm in quite a unique place to do this i let's see how it goes once it was obvious she was going to win um uh I thought, you know, a book about how and um and who who and how um would be interesting and would have been interesting regardless, and I think that stands. Um so we started writing really mid-August, and we stopped writing about half an hour after she resigned. <laughs> no, that's unfair, about 26 hours after she resigned. Um, and it wasn't that so we'd actually we were always going to stop the book um, with her conference speech. It was going to be a 10 by bio- 10 chapter biography with, uh, with another chapter about her, you know, her first month, basically. Um, and then with a view to doing sort of, you know, a paperback update in the new, in, you know, in, in the spring summer of, the, of this year. Um, and so actually we've been working towards a pretty strict deadline to get all of the bio, all the stuff up to and including the day she goes into number 10 that was basically done um by about party conference season so all this sort of idea that we we sort of rewrote the whole thing we didn't really we just carried on writing that was the thing like and and amusingly like some of the best bits that are most revealing about her her rise and and her temperament and her character and her 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 governance should we say um were all already there they're already in the early years so that was already sort of being worked on and then we just carried on going and going and so conference was an absolute car crash uh with the 45p u-turn the speech i actually quite liked quite fun um the rest of it was, was a bit of a disaster um and then so we thought okay I feel like we're going to need to add another chapter. So we'd already said to the the publishers, yeah, well, that's, I think we're going to need to keep going a little bit further beyond conference. Let's just see what happens. And then, you know, all hell break loose. And it was weird. I don't actually really remember any of it because um, we both had day jobs. We were writing, I was writing the paper as a sort of live fallout of this, this crazy mini budget. Um, And you know, we were sort of then just writing into the night of longer, of long before, doing telephone interviews, transcribing overnight. One of us would transcribe overnight. Someone would write other, other bits and it was, it was just a mental couple of weeks. And there was a sort of crashing sense of inevitability about it, but we also had a front row seat in it, which made it fascinating. Um, but it was, it, it kind of became clear that it was going to go wrong even before it went wrong. Like The more we wrote the book, the, the more obvious it was like, oh, this could be, this could be lively. Um, and so, yeah, we just we didn't rewrite. We just we just never stopped writing.
0: And did you, as her premiership is imploding, are you oscillating between thinking, "Oh man, damn it, we've got this book coming out," and she's basically toast? All thinking, actually, this is great publicity for the book.
2: So uh, James won't mind me saying this. I've said it before, but he was really worried uh, and was a bit like, mm, "People are taking a piss. We're a fucking meme. We look, uh, you know." there's a guy in Stanford who's done a TED talk and he opened his TED talk with, imagine how, you know, if you think your project's gone down the Swanee, imagine me and these British guys. And it's just bit like, "Ah," oh, and I just said, just come on. you just got to lean into it. You've got to yeah. go with it. And he ended up writing this brilliant piece with Spectator about, will anyone buy my, my book? It became an international sort of, you know, it became a proper meme and some sad act somewhere kept Photoshopping, ever, ever decreasing price, um, price labels on, on the book, and eventually it was the last one, we just, could someone just please take it? And we hadn't even finished the book about it, so he was getting a bit down and dumps, So I was just saying, no, this is great, it's a book everyone's talking about. The crucial thing is we, I think the worst thing would have happened is we bought out a copy, bought out a version, and then she resigned two weeks later, so actually weirdly the stars aligned and we 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 just pushed through and and HarperCollins and publishers were absolutely amazing and so accommodating and bought, changed all sorts of um <clears throat> all sorts of deadlines and print um windows and things like that at, at a time as their busy time of year pre-christmas um to, to 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 do that to make it work was brilliant we ended up bringing the the ebook out a couple of weeks early just to really um capture the mad the mad wave but um yeah when when Kier stood up at PMQs and started and started, uh, you know, taking the piss out of trust through the book, the meme, the, the through the the idea of the book. And I just, you know, you, you can't buy publicity like that. So uh, you just got to roll with it. And it worked in the end, you know, some poor sod who works with his trust tweeted that he got five copies of it from uh, from various relatives at Christmas. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think it man. became the, it became the sort of, Book to buy the political person in your family, or the book that, to buy somebody you really don't like who likes politics.
0: <laughs> well, I got given it, so I don't know what that means. But it is a brilliant read. It is a fantastic read, uh, and I, I will put a link to it in the blurb so that Thank you. I think it. the
2: speed of it. I, I think. I think I actually couldn't. I was, had a bit of PTSD afterwards, and I actually only flicked through a copy of it again properly um, in uh, it's just after Christmas. Uh, there's one lying around the house, which I think I've given someone. And I just i read a few pages of it. And I think you can actually feel the, the madness come through because of the speed of which it was all happening. Those last chapters, like it, it, it I, I hope you can sort of, it captures just quite how bonkers that 49 days was.
0: Obviously, the defining image really of her is not actually of her, it's of a lettuce. And it, it initially mentioned in an Economist article and then really taken on by the Daily Star. There must have been people at the sun going, why, why didn't we do that? Why didn't we have a webcam with a lettuce on it?
2: Yeah, yeah I mean, without being too mean, the Daily Star have funny and amusing front pages, but don't sell many copies. Is the is the problem? Look, yeah, look, it was a good hit. It was good fun, and um, we're not, we're not big. You know, we're not po-faced stewards inquiries and, and the likes, like other other newspaper, uh, well-known uh, newspaper uh, titles uh, that I could mention, but. Um, yeah, it was a good hit. And what is your relationship with other papers? Like? Do you do you still go to lobby briefings and things? Or do you yeah, I do. Anybody? I try to go. I try to go. On a, I normally try to go on a Monday because that's quite a big one. Um, so you sort of get a look ahead of the week as well, and you get a bit more. There's always some stuff to chew over from the Sunday papers. Yeah, I still go. Um, less than I used to. Um, and less than I did in the pandemic because it was all done on the phone in the pandemic, and basically, you know, everyone decided to turn up for that because it was something to do when you're bored at home. Um, relationship is good. Like so, the lobby is is it is friendly rivalry, and it is absolute to those two extremes. It is very friendly. You're all in the same boat. You're all stuck up in the eaves of the houses of parliament. It's um, you've got Steve Bray's megaphones blasting through your windows twenty four hours a day. It's forty degrees in the summer and minus four in the winter. There's rats, um, and we have we have we have a good laugh. <laughs> so yeah, it's always the way you know you kind of like. I like it when my lobby colleagues have a great hit. I have a brilliant, like, my um, incredibly friendly, but also incredibly competitive relationship with Steve Swinford at the at the Times. And I love it when he gets a good story, and he loves it when I get a good story, but we also hate it. And we'll often sort of, you know, have a, an exchange of, of sweary WhatsApps, um, especially if you're in – fish because we fish in a similar pool. I think we, we have a similar – we have a similar operating tactics, Jason Groves at the mail as well. Uh, ben Riley Smith. It's a bit like, I don't know, you can just tell if someone else is around on the same story because you get a whiff of something, you call someone, someone's go, Oh, I spoke to Steve about that a couple of days ago. Go, oh, hello. And then you can, you, you basically start to piece together wherever other people are. Um, so, you know, there are times, yeah, I think, you know, the, the speed of things is 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 what's is a little bit annoying whereas before i think in the old days reading the you know reading the the great books of the time um you know they would file and then there was nothing you could do about it the story was gone it was done and it'd be in tomorrow's papers and it was either in your first edition or your second edition or or it wasn't it just wasn't there whereas now like this ever increasing arms race is getting slower to get stuff out first so now um, you know, the Guardian will dump stuff out at six o'clock, the tell will dump stuff out at nine, you know, ten, like because there's because it's all online, there's this there's this element of not only you've got to get your own stories, but then you've got to an- analyze immediately and rip or or ignore everyone else's stories. So your your job is not just the traditional chase of getting the scoop, it's also working out working out what else you need to put into your paper the next day. So in a weird way the the speed of things actually makes our job twice as hard because you know if you've genuinely got a massive scoop at six o'clock seven o'clock eight o'clock do you and you think so others might have this do you then spaff it out online to be for the for the glory essentially of being the first or do you risk waiting and probably being first and the only person to have it but also you know others might have it and if you obviously if you go early you give it to everyone but you know your your boss or you know your twitter crowd will know about it and so there's this it's just getting creeping creeping and early And i'm very much for that can we just all do this at 10 o'clock um because <laughs> otherwise like, the, the cycle just just never ends but no it's good fun it's a good crowd they're good people um and um, you know, it only ever really spills over into. I I can't remember the last time there was a good old proper lobby lobby row.
0: And what pressures are on you as political editor of the Sun internally? Is it about clicks, sales, whatever? I, you know, do you have? Don't know how it works for Genesis? Do you have performance reviews with line managers, or are you kind of aside or above that sort of thing?
2: I hope we don't. <laughs> Look, we're in the paper. At the end of the day, we're in the news business. Um, create news. Make us make a splash. Make noise. Get the brand out there. Get the paper out there. Get people talking about stories in the sun. That's the only metric that really matters at the end of the day. Um, yes, there is some online, you know, some goals. Um, not my bag, really. But, I mean, obviously, we, we are focused on providing a rounded online coverage rather than driven by numbers, but driven by, you know, impact. So... Um, yeah, there is a bit of that. I'm the, I, I don't think you know we're not crawling through the paper each day, measuring bylines and how much people have got in the paper. But you know, in a way, everyone everyone wants to splash. That's the thing. That's everyone. Everyone wants to, to deliver. And The last few years has been so much con- politics, so much po- too much politics, <laughs> way too much politics, and so actually, part of my job is to, is at the moment to say, look. As a sort of as a as a starting point, we probably don't want to do too much politics in the paper because there's been so much. People are bored of it. People want to be left alone to watch telly, go to the football, read about stuff that's not politics. They just want to get on their lives, go to work, earn a living, and have the government out of their way. And to have to read about this shit day in day out, and you know, <laughs> and the latest prime minister has arrived, the latest ideas, and and you know, so at the moment now, it's 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 about finding a balance of between. OK, we do actually have to give this a good show because this is important because of X rather than this generic, almost politics is, is the paper. We do politics because it is a newspaper. But, you know, it used to be back in the old days, you know, we'd have page two, page lead, a couple of spreads, maybe a couple of times a week. A splash, if it's a really big story. But, you know, there was a sort of period between Brexit and then Boris and then COVID and then... And where we were just splashing politics day in day out, and the punters don't like it. They don't want it. They don't want it rammed down their throat. They want to vote in an election every five years and hope that everything goes all right in the meantime. And they quite like to know how much fags and booze are going up at the budget, and and like to see their tax bills go down. Um, and because it's because because it's had to be so because there's been so much of it now, it's about actually making a judgment on what we don't need to do, and actually trying to find out what politics you know what, what crosses the line between. What needs to be done, and what we can actually just you know do small, rather than just constantly ramming politics down down the readers' throats. Thinking about your readers and what they
0: like and don't like. What do you think their view of Boris is?
2: Our readers loved him, like, and like, still, yeah, 70, like you know a big solid double digit contingent didn't like him and never would. Fine, but a lot of a lot of our readers were very very confused to why they did that. Why they got rid of him, they you know, this idea that they were too stupid to see the flaws in Boris Johnson before they voted for him in droves. Um, it's actually quite offensive. It's like, oh, you silly people in the Red Wall, look what you've done. You voted the silly clown in, and now he's been a clown. They're like, no, we voted the clown in because we like the clown and he thinks he gets us. And you know, people have flaws, people, normal people have. You know, colourful private lives. Normal people have, you know, problems that, you know, could be overcome, but they like the fact he was standing up for them. They like the fact he was different. They like the fact he was punching people on the nose. And I think there's an element of, you know, a lot of people, a lot of, there will be a lot of Tory, first time Tory votes in 2019, who think, you know what, Pff, not going to try that. They might not vote Labour again, but they might not vote again. And I think that's what the problem with Sunak has is that actually... For, for whether it's fair or not, he is he has got that Boris Killer um baggage, and it's not necessarily anger with the Tories, it's a bit like, oh, that's a shame. He, we of liked him, he was you know, he was batting for us, and I think that's um, yeah, you know, I think that will take the Tories, t- Tories, what 15, what 20, 30 years to get over. They're still getting over get the defenestration of, of Margaret Thatcher, um, and you know, to take out an electorally successful prime minister in quite a quite brutal fashion um you know creates a vision in the conservative party that will take them a long time to get get over and i think they'll take them i think the, the spectre of johnson i don't think he's going to come back anytime soon or ever but the spectre of johnson will linger l- large over over the party for at least 10 years
0: do you think he genuinely wants to come back and be prime minister before the next election
2: i think he's got unfinished business for sure but The thing is, so Sunak wins the election, say, it's Sunak's party. He can then do five years, go on a go, I'd imagine, go in a a term, a way of his choosing, you know, historic five years, historic fifth victory, la la la. It's his party. Um, So no place for Boris. If Sunak loses the election, and I can't see Johnson doing five years hard yards in in opposition, it's just not going to happen. Horrible job. And, you know, and now you look, he's got his, you know, he's he's big on the world circuit. He's earning a quarter of a million quid for an hour's speech. You know, nice money. Can you really, I can't see a path to him coming back this year if you look at the, everyone's talking about the local elections being this great big moment for the Tories, it's not. The local elections are 24 hours before the coronation. No one's going to care about the local elections. Most of, most of the local authorities won't start counting till 11am on the Friday morning and start declaring results at 7pm on, on the Friday night, which is, the coronation is the next day. Like, the whole world is going to be Watching Westminster Abbey and Windsor and, and Buckingham Palace, and the idea that we're going to cut from that footage now to, you know, Redditch Town Hall to read out some some local authority results. So in a weird way, I imagine they did it totally on purpose. You know that that big pressure point of of of, of May. Isn't going to isn't going to be the problem that some people see it for for Sunak, and then you've got the summer. We'll see how it goes. I think conference could be interesting if the Tories are still double digits behind in the polls, inflation still eight nine percent, um and energy prices are you know are still you know hurting. That's when I think there could be a wobble, but I just don't I just don't see how they do it. I don't see the mechanism. I don't see with this parliament having got rid of him once you're back into the same position again of, um, you know, you're going to have the members wanting him, but the, the, MP is not. And, and as, as July last year proved, if your MPs don't want you, you cannot run a government. And then also you've got the, the party gate inquiry dragging. This is why they're letting it go long. The longer it goes, the it's almost impossible for Johnson to come back. And, um, you know, until that's why that's why they did that amendment when last year. That's why they made that. Why just to always have it as an option to to pull the trigger, um, and until that's resolved, I can't. I just I just can't see it.
0: And Sunak must be desperate for the approval of the Sun. Is he? <laughs> is he trying to court you? Do you think? Do you think the no, Small no, Boats mean, thing is, a, is is a real play for for I the think supporters? It's,
2: I, don't, I think it's a play for us. I think it's a play for most of the country outside the N twenty five. Who think this is nuts? And it's it's, it's just a sort of physical embodiment of the government's impotence. And, um, yeah, really hate it. it. It without getting again sausages getting made. Maybe I should make. A, I should do a podcast. How the sausages? Um, <laughs> I love sausages. I, yeah. Um, look. Yeah, we are. Yeah, I mean, we have a we have. You know, they want to speak to our readers uh, more than anything and um you know we had a very good piece from sunak last week gave a good show um you know he's 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 finding his feet now like he's you know he's done his calm down everything calm down calm everything down put the dampeners on stop generating news um and then but as we keep saying our leaders we want to see more so you know if uh, if the Prime Minister or his communications team are listening yeah we're we're all ears let's hear it but you know speak to it don't don't worry about us worry about our readers and the, and, the, and the rest will follow
0: and it's always interesting this I think one of the wisest things David Cameron ever said was that Twitter isn't Britain and and yeah. the height of the outrage around Boris Johnson and COVID and everything and Party gate it felt as if the entire country certainly if you looked at Twitter, the entire country wanted him to go now I'm sure that there was outrage in conservative circles as well but there's always a part of me that thinks I bet there's millions of people out there that actually aren't that bothered or even if they know kind of aren't that bothered so just in give us a sort of sun insight on that then did you have a view of or any insight into how some readers were, were feeling or whether they any more or less or more outraged or whether they thought they that were, maybe should go I or think not
2: the out uh, the, the anger was at the straight up party the the you know the the bending of the rules the breaking of the rules the the queen funeral picture that was there was raw anger at that there was anger and it, the, the 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 postbag heaved at that however i think where the disconnect between westminster the parliamentary conservative party and the media, I think, came with the wider public, is it wasn't a hanging offence in the fact that you can be angry with the prime minister, you can give him a kicking in locals, you can you can tell opinion pollsters that you're not going to vote for them, but they're not saying they weren't going to vote for them. They weren't they weren't they weren't saying they vote Labour. They're saying they didn't know. Don't know is a recoverable place. Look at where the polls were in July last year. It wasn't a hanging offence. It was midterm anger you need to sort your life out, use it up your game. The problem was, is that the Tory party gave, the, the MPs gave him a second chance and he fucked it with, with Pinscher, Um and the handling of that. And it was something there is something about that sort of summer term feeling in Westminster um, is, are we really going to, and also the, the party's bruised by, the failure to defenestrate Theresa May for so long. Like, I think they just thought, right, we've got this reputation for being ruthless killers. Let's be ruthless killers. Um, and I just think they slightly rushed it and there was a sort of building up to it, but he didn't help himself. Like he could have survived the party gate thing. I don't think the anger, the anger was passing the, you know, there was a path to recovery from that, but I think it was the spaffing of the second chance that, that really did it for him. Um, and I, you know, you wonder you look you look at those polls now, and you wonder whether there's a bit of regret in the Tory Party, you know, and you know the only people cheering when he went really were, were Labour because Starmer, you know, he couldn't ha- he didn't know how to handle. it He clearly hated him, and it showed, and it clouded his judgment. And you know, PMQs Starmer's got noticeably better at PMQs since Boris Johnson has um, has left the stage, so. We'll see how it plays out. But I think in the annuals of history, people are going to look back at that and think that was a bit mental, especially if they do go down to a sort of titanic defeat in in 2024. When you look at the polling in, in July last year, um, I think people were, you know, they, they were annoyed, they are angry. And, you know, it was a scandal. But was it, you know, quite the quite the sort of career ending scandal that it, that it, it appeared to be?
0: How hard is it when you know some of the people involved? You know, you've been around in politics a long time. People become friends. You know, you have closeness to some people. And then you're having to write stories about people that you're possibly very fond of or or that are close to people that you're very fond of. I mean, is that... That's the? Does, does it cost to... friendships, this line of work?
2: It has cost me friendships in the past. And so, therefore, now, I'm very clear, quite straight up, which is... you've got to to know the rules. You can enjoy someone's company immensely and they're good crack and you can go for lunch and go for dinner and have a nice time and have good gossip. But they've got to know that one day, you know, that that, the phone call could come and it's going to be not very nice. And I think you've got to be very, you've got to really put those boundaries down and be very clear about it. The more seasoned politician amongst, you know, amongst, knows that it's a two-way street. They can glean as much information off of us as we glean off of them at times. Um, it's never quite as you know as naked as that. But you know, you, you the most skilled politicians are the ones you leave lunch with thinking, gosh, I've got so many stories from that. And you get back to your computer and you sit there and go, Oh, I can't actually think of anything he told me. <laughs> <laughs> and not just because you had two bottles of wine, but because they've actually lifted the lid enough. To, to show you what's behind the curtain without actually showing, showing you, without actually giving you enough to, to pull the trigger. Um, look, yeah, being around politics. And also the problem is of being around politics for a long time, because actually Westminster, compared to America, you know, Westminster Village is so small that, you know, contacts you knew or friends you knew before they were in politics, well, they were in the fringes of it like I was t- 15 years ago and now MPs and you think Christ like how did you do that like the the duty night officer at CCHQ used to answer the phone at midnight if you had a query is now a minister and you think you know and that's a sort of 12 year that's the sort of when you what you get to at the end of a 12 year cycle um a 12 year go- a government is actually some of the like the gimpier elements of the of, of, of the of the Cameroon era are now actually taking actual decisions about real stuff <laughs> and uh, and this is the sort of cynicism you get from it. You're thinking, God, I remember that guy. Like, what a clown he was, and now he's and now he's now he's a you know, almost in the cabinet. <laughs> and so it's things like that are, are, are quite um, are quite. You can't then you can't then be like, you know, you can't not. I'm not going to ignore him in a pub, or you know, I'm not going to not talk to him because he's now thinks he's all, all high and mighty. Well, um, so it's a hard balance, but you've got to you've got to put the ground rules down. Um, and at the end of the day, I think politicians and journalists are quite similar. They both, you know, they're quite like the, the world uh, in which they operate in, uh, or have to. Um, but you've got to be strict. You've got to say no. And also you've got to, at the end of the day, always, they're never your friend. Really, they're not, they're not your friend. You can be friendly, you can have a nice time, but the the true friendship cannot really ever cross the guard. If they retire, they leave Westminster fine, whatever. But an MP and a journalist need to have very distinctive grammars.
0: And just finally, for you then, wh- where does your ambition lie? Is it to be editor of a newspaper of the Sun specifically? Would you ever work for a party or a politician or inside Number Ten?
2: Um, again, I've been a- I've been asked a couple of times to do it, and not in Number Ten actually. Um, I should hasten to add, but MPs have uh, very upwardly mobile ministers have said if you ever fancied it and I'm not going to be pious and say no, actually uh, I never say never um, because without going full Josh Lyman, Jed Bartlett, but you know, I couldn't sit here and say if I one day saw someone who I thought that guy, that woman is going all the way and is a good thing and I want to help them. It might happen. I just haven't seen them. <laughs> no, no sign of them yet.
0: <laughs> they don't currently <laughs> yeah. exist.
2: Yeah. But if Keir wants um, some put some grit into his oyster, I think, uh, you know, the <laughs> he knows where to find me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Harry, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.
2: I've really enjoyed it. Thanks.
0: Well, there you go. And I have put a link to the book, Out of the Blue, for you to buy. It is a thoroughly entertaining read, as you would imagine, from hearing Harry speak um, about uh, Liz... Well, the rise of List Trust, I guess, most of it's about, as he said, and then, uh, of course, the uh, very swift downfall. Um, but it is fascinating, that idea, actually, that sometimes in politics people can get a bit sniffy about it being about people and i I kind of understand that that it's also about ideas and it's about policy and it's about outcomes but ultimately we do elect politicians and their personalities and their behavior does shape not just their policy agenda in people's lives but the outcomes of nations so actually i i really enjoyed hearing a, a spirited defense of covering politics in that sort of way and it is it's amazing that, that the influence that the sun still has, and how it's endured, and how it will, how it's adapted to the arrival of, of social media and, and online and everything else, and just the lobby and how it works and the relationships between people. I just thought the whole thing was, um I, I, I really only scratched the surface. and there's just so much more I wanted to ask him. But uh, what a pleasure that was. Don't forget to come to the live shows. The next show, Monday, the 20th of February, Keir Starmer. The 6th of March, Eddie Izzard. The 20th of March, Krishnan Guru Murthy. The 3rd of April, Ruth Davidson. And what an amazing booking that is. Uh, if you want to really hear what it's like to go up against Nicola Sturgeon, what the future of Scottish politics is, um, the, the timing of Ruth's uh, uh, arrival on the show could not have been better 17th of April about to be confirmed but on the 22nd of May new guest just announced David Blunkett that will be an absolute treat so thank you for downloading this please do leave a 5 star written review uh, and tell your friends about it it helps the podcast get up the charts and I shall see you at the Keir Starmer show Monday Ta-ra